from the time that's mine this morning, I want to work from the sermon titled, God, I don't need a restoration, I need a renovation. Amen? Turn to your neighbor, tell him, I don't need a restoration, I need a renovation. I don't need a restoration. I need a renovation. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, can you hop over to that book of Psalms? It's in the middle of the Bible. We're going to read the 30th chapter, the entirety of the 30th chapter, Psalm number 30. I'll read it for you really quickly from the New King James Version. A song, a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy, but joy, now in my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, Lord, and the Lord, I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let us pray. Father God, let the words of the, my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, let this word penetrate the hearts of those that are listening. Let them see the unlimited power that you can move in their life and how you can change a little situation into a major thing. In your holy name, amen. amen. I, um, for the longest time before I became a pastor, I was in a company that sold technology, so we've always been very interested in the development of Apple. And as I was putting this sermon together, something hit me. In the year 1997, Steve Jobs was asked to go back to Apple and restore them to their old position. Their greatest hit to that point, their greatest hits to that point were the Apple II and the um, Macintosh computer. But they hadn't seen good days for a while. It had been 10, 15 years of flop after flop. If anybody's into technology, they remember the Newton, the original um, um, Palm tablet thing that is a bomb. But the goal when they brought him back was just to restore Apple. We just want to sell some more computers. That's all we want to do. We want to get back to where we were. But Steve Jobs had a different idea. He said, I don't want to restore Apple. I want to renovate Apple. So 
He came out with this little device called an iPod. Anybody heard of that? Then he figured out that if you hook up that iPod to iTunes, you can listen to your music, right? So then after that, he figured out that if I hook up my iPod to my iTunes, I can sell you a whole bunch of stuff. Then he said, you know what? This iPod thing is going to run its course, so we should have an iPhone. Then he said, let's have an iPad. Then he said, let's have Apple Pay and Apple TV and all that other stuff. So that at the last quarter, Apple's the largest company in the world and its smallest business was the business that was to be restored. Think about that. I believe so many believers in Christ and so many of us in the church lexicon, we're looking for restoration. While God wants to do a renovation. What's the difference, Dr. Cannon? It's really simple. When I restore something, I bring it back to exactly what it was. But when I'm in a renovation mode, I'm looking to take walls out. I'm looking to improve the facilities. I'm looking to change the whole vibe and look of the space. I might want to upgrade the lights and the heat. I want to change everything around me. But why do so many of us ask for restoration instead of God renovating something for us? I think, uh, I think I'm on somebody's street today. You've been praying for restoration to God. Like, I got a bigger plan for you. It's called renovation. Amen. Is, it, is that anybody's story today? You've been asking for something, but it's too small for God. God wants to do so much more for you, but you're just asking for the little bit when you should be asking for more. Restoration. Renovation over restoration. But this Bible verse explains what happens to a believer when they go from a restoration mindset to a renovation mindset. This 30th Psalm, the book of Psalms is a very interesting book. An interesting book. It's um, 150 chapters. The Hebrew word for it is telmah. Telmah means to praise. It is the book of praise, and the author of most of it is David. David wrote 73 of the 150 songs, because he was known to be a man after God's heart. He was a praiser that lifted everything up to God no matter what. If you're not familiar with David, let me give you a little bit of rundown on who David is. David was a shepherd boy that was on the backside of the mountain. His family didn't even respect him. Then a, a prophet by the name of Samuel, Samuel came by and said to Jesse, show me all your sons because one of them will be anointed the king of Israel. And what did they do? They got all the other brothers but David. And it's a word for somebody here. Just because they forgot you don't mean God did. Amen. Amen. So Samuel anointed him. But the interesting thing about anointing, Jansen, is anointing doesn't mean appointment. Anointing means it's the start of a process. Too many people get anointed and then think they've made it all the way when God has so much more for them, but they have to go through the process. So David did some little things like he slayed this guy called Goliath that was a giant. It was interesting that his, he, his brother said, you can't do it. And the king said, use my armor. And he said, no, I won't. I will use what God gave me because I was fighting lions and tigers and bears on the backside of the mountain. But I'll take five smooth stones, swing it in a sling, and throw it and hit him in the head. Because I'll do it my way. After that, 
Saul brought him into his, um, Saul, the current king at that time, brought him into his um, court, and, and David was the chief musician because Saul had an evil spirit. But the music calmed them. It's amazing. Music in church will calm evil spirits. Thank God for the music ministry. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's interesting, though, the, the, the paradigm shift here. You're anointed for in a position, but you got to work under somebody. For young people, sometimes you need a season of apprenticeship before you go where you need to go. Amen. 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 All, all this time. David was faithful to Saul. He went and had battles and fought beside Saul's side. He walks into Jerusalem. They say, Saul slayed a thousand. But David slayed his ten thousands. Because of the God and the anointing of God, that made Saul jealous of him. So Saul grabbed the spear and threw it at David. David ran out. No clothes, nothing, thinking the world had defeated him. He said, I'm anointed. I was in the court. I'm here now. But it seems to be snatched away from me. David went on to hide. He grabbed some fellows with him that were the lowest and the least and the lost and the crippled. And that made his army that he wanted to conquer on. Saul was chasing him around the countryside. It was almost 25 years they chased him around the countryside. And David had opportunities to kill Saul. He was in a cave one time, and Saul was in there um, doing some business. And David was behind him. And he could have cut him, stabbed him in the back, cut his head off, walked outside, held his head up, you know, and like the big guy said, God anointed him. But he remembered something, that you can't get promoted in God's kingdom by stabbing somebody in the back. He said, touch not my anointed, was what he said there. Yes. So, God, so David goes on, and eventually Saul messes himself up. The men that were with David, that were the losers, and all of those that decided they became known as the mighty men of David, the mighty men of God that would stand in front. And David became king. So I figured David is good now. But David, David, when he became king, he walked into Jerusalem. He brings the ark of God from Obed-Edom's house. And he gets into there and he's dancing so much that his clothes fall off. Have you ever worshipped God so much because he's provided and blessed you so much that your clothes will fall off? Then you haven't faced anything if you can't praise God at a level that people look at you and go, you're crazy. I would rather be crazy praising God than be saying with crazy folks. So David, David, he, he, he had some issues as king. You know, um, he had a little lust issue. He was standing in his palace, and he looks down, and he sees this bad woman. Rashida, and he goes down, and he tries to take him for himself, and he curses himself because he can't take from others and, 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 and hope to keep it. But she becomes his wife, and he's born his son Solomon. But he has to go and be and supplicant on um, mercy because when Nathaniel told him about his sin, he, he, he um, fasted and prayed and was silent in front of God because sometimes we have to repent even though we messed up because even a man after God's heart will mess up, but if he repents, God will bless him. Amen. Amen. So he continues and he has some kids and his kids try to kick him out of the kingdom. And now, there's a point to all of this. We get to the end of David's reign. David 
says, I need to do a census of the kingdom. After God says, don't do a census. Because God says, and this is this, this revelation right here, it's not the number that's going to get you to victory. It's my presence. Amen. So many people get caught up in numbers and never get caught up in the presence of God. So because David was saying, I can go get more soldiers than the next man. But God was saying, no, 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 no. It's my presence that's at your success. Too many people look at numbers and never look at the presence of God. I'd rather be by myself in a closet with God than in a crowd with everybody else. So, in his moment of repentance, at the end of his reign, he writes a 30th Psalm. Told you I was going somewhere with this. So David gets here, and he's realized he's messed up. So, so let's take a look at this. Let's take a look. First two verses of this text, it says, I will extol you, O Lord. You have lifted me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You've kept me alive that I should not go down in a pit. Most of us, when we need to start a renovation process, need to look back at what God's done. We have to understand that sometimes you have to have faith in the builder. Sometimes you have to believe in what God has done for you. Because part of the problem is, is how do you trust him to change everything if you don't believe what he did for you in the past? Amen. Some people might say, well, I haven't been walking with God that long. We have an interesting term for it. It's called provenient grace. Amen. What is provenient grace? It's the grace that happened before I ever accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. It's, it's the grace that covers me even when I don't know I need to be covered. It's the grace that provides for me when I can't explain it. So when you think back on your life and you look at situations in your life and you go, how did that happen? It's grace. It's grace. It's God putting his hand in the way. It's God opening the way. It's God providing opportunity. I think what people in Silicon Valley don't realize is this, is, this, is that there's a lot of smart people in the world. There are a lot of skilled people in the world. There are probably a million people that could do exactly what you do now. But if it wasn't for grace, how would you get there? If it wasn't for his hand on you, if it wasn't for his hand talking to the college person that let you in, if it wasn't for his hand talking to the boss that gave you the promotion, if it wasn't for his hand that let you through the situation, how would you have made it but by grace? Sometimes we think we think too highly of ourselves and don't realize what grace does. The next thing is he says, he calls us to praise. Last week I said it in my sermon, worship, I thank God for who he is. Creator of all things, the man, the person. The God that created everything around me, my healer, my savior, he's the God of it all. That's my worship. My praise is, God, I grew up in a town where five of my friends got shot and I still made it out of high school. Amen. 
That's what I lift up praise for. I know, I know, I know. When I was a teenager or, or a young adult, I, I, I got in the car and I drank one, five too many, six too many beers, and didn't crash the car. I know there's so many things in my life. When I look back on it, I owe him praise. But the problem is, is so many of us don't understand what grace is. We don't know what praise is. Because if you understood what his grace was, then you say, I praise him for that. Because this is the powerful thing. If I haven't seen his grace, then I can't say this. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I can't say it and believe it if he hasn't been in my life. So that's what the grace does. We know what's on the other side. So we start praising him in advance. So many of us, when we are down in a situation, put our head down and be like, oh, I don't know. What I'm going to do next, it's going to be all right. God blessed me before. He'll bless me again. I feel put down. That's not what God is looking for. He's looking for a praise to come in and be like, God, I know you did it before and you'll do it again. I know you'll bless me in a way that I can't expect. I know that I might be crying right now. I know I might be frustrated right now. I know that the situation doesn't seem like it's going to work out right now. But in the morning, in the morning, there will be joy. In the morning, there will be joy. So that's the next thing. But we now get to the heart of the matter. Rossi, this part of the text messed me up. This, this part of the text messed me up. If you take a look at verse 6 and 7. Now, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you made my mountain stand strong. You hit your face, and I was troubled. The issue with David, and he's, he's owning his part of it, is that he let his ego and position go against God. Don't, don't be too hard on him. We all do it. Don't, 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 don't mess with David. Because he's a man after God's heart. I wonder what God would say about us. Here goes the issue. Just a glance. Here goes the issue. Is he, he slowly slid into the situation. He was king. It was going well. God was blessing him. So I, as king, should do a census. Because it's the right thing to do, right? But it's not the God thing to do. That's what so many of us sometimes we slip away from God with ego. We slip away from God with prosperity. We slip away from God and we wonder why it happens. It's very interesting in the Bible, and that's why I love reading the Bible. It gives you a picture of this, the children of Israel. And the children of Israel could be um, anybody, anywhere today. Check this out. It's a continuous cycle. So prosperity 
leading to forgetfulness of what God does. So I get more comfortable. That's why in California, when we say we have church on Sunday in springtime, everybody's like, I got baseball, beach, sky, because they forgot what God did. Look over whoever's missing, you can tell them I said that. Because they wouldn't be at the beach if God didn't bless them with a job. They didn't, um, I'm done. Amen? But here goes the good part, Justin. Here goes the good part. Forgetfulness of God leads to affliction. So I wonder why I have anxiety. I wonder why I can't sleep at night. I wonder why I feel frustrated. I wonder why I'm short with my spouse. That's the affliction. Affliction leads to groaning, repentance, and calling upon God for deliverance. That's when it all hits the rail and people are like, I gotta get back to church. Come to the altar, we cry, we pray. And the great thing about God is he's better than me and you because, you know, the problem is, is that we judge people all day, ain't been in church all that long. They ain't been here for a while, now they won't come and pray. Why are they gonna do that? No, that's not what God says. It's like the prodigal son, he says, my lost child, come, I have set a feast aside for you. That's why you ought never let how anybody looks at you in the church building determine what you do in the church building because it's not about them, it's about God. And God loves you more than you will ever know or ever stand. So this is the thing. If you want to come back, come back right to this altar because that's where God is. And those that judge you, tell them, I'll, I'll see you when you go to hell and go to heaven. No, I'm joking, don't say that. <laughs> don't, 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 don't say that. Because then I'll have to have a conversation. <laughs> but the reality is, is if I'm doing it for God and I come to the altar, it doesn't matter what my affliction is. They can think whatever they want. But I know between me and God, he'll deliver me. Amen? Then the next, the next thing is, we do repentance and prayer to a merciful deliverance, deliverance to prosperity. And guess what happens? Prosperity to forgetfulness. Amen. The reality is, is that the children of Israel went through that cycle. Yes, and be honest, um, Jonathan, and be honest, Rossi, we all go through that cycle. Yes, when things are going really good, um, Bill, uh, you know, I'll do four, four, four days of morning study, maybe five. When they're going bad, I'm going to do morning and afternoon study for seven days. <laughs> I'm going to reach to God. You see, the thing is, is that when we're comfortable, we forget God. But the danger is, is that when we forget God, we end up start dealing with ourselves and we mess ourselves up. So here goes the first thing. When you have prosperity, you have to thank God first, because then you don't think you did it. Number two, you ought to always remain in relationship with God. How do I remain in relationship with God? Uh, you read the Bible. Uh, read the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time. Read the Bible. So many people don't read the Bible. It's amazing. Read the Bible. And engage in your own Christian walk. That's Bible study Sunday school. We have amazing ones here. But that is how, even no matter how good it is, I stay engaged with my relationship with God. Okay. So now let's continue. 
He does a prayer for deliverance. But this is the best part. God delivers him. Let me take one step back. So, God, the angel of God comes to David after he's done this moment where he's done the census. And he says, you've got three choices, three choices. First choice is, I'll give you seven years of famine. Second choice is, I'll give you three years of pestilence. Last choice is, I'll give you three days of um, sickness for the nation. So God strikes the nation of David is a smart guy. He says, let me get this over in three days. So God strikes the nation of Israel. And 70,000 men are die in the outlying lands. And as before he gets to Jerusalem, David prays that prayer deliverance that you see in the text. And you know what's the great part about God? He has mercy. <laughs> you, you, you see, one person in the back got what the power that was. We just talked about we forget God in prosperity. We put ourselves in a bad situation. But his mercy says, no matter how bad I've messed up, I will cover you and I will rescue and I keep you. So instead of three days of pain, he only had one day. Because there is mercy from God. If you look at verses 8 through 10, he said, I cried out to you, Lord. And to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O oh Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. The beauty of God is he has mercy. Grace covers us, but mercy cleans us. Say, you want to hear that again? Grace covers us, but mercy cleans us. Because I'm so glad that God will do mercy for me. Because if I dealt with a man's mercy, I wouldn't be blessed. But because God has mercy on me, he doesn't judge me for my flaws. He doesn't judge me for my crime. He doesn't talk about me. He just covers me with his blood. He cares so much about it. He said his only begotten son died on Calvary's cross. And that's why when you come to communion today and you take the bread and you take the wine and you know what that's mercy and grace wrapped up in one. But this is the best part. This is the best part. He gets deliverance and praise. You turn for me my morning into dancing. You put off my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God. First lady, um, so God's God spares David. And David goes to the threshing floor of Arnon. And you have to understand the significance of the threshing floor. Where he does this prayer, where he says, I'm going from mourning to joy. Is that this is the place where Jacob took Isaac. And God provided a ram in the bush. So he starts praising and thanking God that it doesn't happen. But he says to the man, he says, I need to 
to buy this from you. I need to buy the bull and the oxen. And, and Arnold says, I'll give it to you. And he says, I can't give God praise if I don't sacrifice for it. Sometimes we want to give cheap praise. But sometimes I have to have a sacrifice for it. So all David wanted at this moment was restoration for his house. He said, I sinned with the census. But what he didn't realize was that property that he had just bought and that he had just sacrificed and he had just blessed is a place that the temple would be built. Because God said, you were looking for me to restore you. But I'm looking to build a temple around you. Sometimes, some of us just wanted to go back to the way it was. But you know what? God has something better for you. Because if you wake up in the morning and see it just the way it was, you'll still be weeping at the afternoon. But when God changes the situation for you, moves in your life, does what he needs to do, you will be blessed when he builds a temple around you. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but God is looking to build more around you than you even hope, ask, or expect. Because your imagination can't see what God is going to see. Because the reality is, is David, all he wanted to do was a sacrifice. But what God wanted to do was build a family. So what God is doing in the house is not restoration. It's renovation. Turn to your neighbor, let them know I'm not a restored project, I'm a renovated project. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise, please rise.